0: Is this for me?
1: Well, you know, I'd love to say that I'm whistling for you because, of course, I do love you. But, you know, I'm actually just trying to process in a way that makes sense from Valerie Tripp, something that I've learned with this book that I'm just, you know, I'm like trying to sit with my spirit. I'm trying to understand this. I thought this was a book for children. And instead, what it's taught me is that cat calling originated with one Josefina Montoya.
0: It did. Absolutely.
1: I I don't know how to move on from this. Welcome back, everyone. We are back in our regularly scheduled programming. Welcome to American Girls Podcast, the podcast where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary,
0: and I'm Allison.
1: And we're delighted to be back. We had a mailbag episode last week. We were tra- I was traveling. Allison, how's it going?
0: It's been great. It was a lot of fun to review all of your mail, but I was very excited, actually, to be back in New Mexico with Josefina.
1: You know, it was a real delight. I've been doing a lot of traveling lately, but, you know, I don't want to say it's the best place I've been in the past couple of weeks, but it's a place that I've been.
0: Well, things are turning up for her. It's a summer story, so we're getting a slightly brighter note. You likened this to a Montoya spring break, which I think is accurate.
1: (laughs) I love a spring break story. It's beautiful.
0: Yes. And we kind of learned that Josefina has shocking levels of game where she's able to lure a white man from the woods towards her with a clay whistle.
1: Yeah, that's something that I will never recover from for the rest of my days. Now... I am now 33 years old since we've last spoken, well, not you and I, but the listeners and I. You know, I've turned into my Karen Carpenter year. I'm I'm sitting with that.
0: It's also the Jesus year, right?
1: Yeah, that is, of course, true. I'm just thinking of, like, you know, importance to the American songbook. So, of course, Karen came up first for me.
0: Yes, of course. You can think of it as a Jesus Christ superstar mashup.
1: I love Jesus Christ Superstar. It's so I weird. I love it so much. Um, I actually liked that live musical. A lot of them are total messes, but and I also like when they're messy, but it it's just a very weird... I watched that movie when I was growing up, and I love the songs, and it's very strange. I can't say that for another Andrew Lloyd Webber production. This is where you and I part ways. I have seen the Cats trailer since last we've spoken we're in the dawn of what could be the downturn or just a rough period for Taylor Swift. And that's all I'm going to say.
0: I think because we're, we're like pretty far into late stage capitalism. And I think we have about one more year to turn around global warming. I think cats is preparing us for a future in which lines between human and animal are blurred.
1: (laughs) I don't want to have to think about that, but that is probably true. And But the thing I want to know is, like, is Jason Derulo going to be allowed to say Derulo at the beginning of each of his songs? Like, does Andrew Lloyd Webber allow that, or what's going to happen?
0: He absolutely won't. I think of the whole thing as a cautionary tale. <laughs> Get out of here.
1: It's all, you know, it's just really sad because it's going to be far from perfect.
0: I think that's so true. I also think Josefina would be the girl who gets like season tickets at her local repertory theater. There is no instrument this girl is not interested in. There's a lot. So someone else in the culture just a few weeks ago, but it feels so raw still, you know, mentioned that they weren't so good with words, but they were really good with music. And that was one Jed who proposed to Hannah B. I refuse to learn his last name because it's not relevant anymore to this. Correct. But he did pull out a guitar, a la Felicity Merriman, and yes. proposed marriage. He did it with guitar. Yes, yes. So you were away traveling, and you were. I on literally your own was.
1: F- I was on a plane when the finale let was airing, so I was devastated to be missing this.
0: Yes. But unlike Jed and Hannah, you have had like a better musical interlude in your own life. That's
1: true. Let me give you a quick rundown of the past two weeks of my life. Week one, while I was away, I was in Ireland. My brother got married. His Yay. wife is beautiful. Extremely happy for them. Congratulations. I turned 33 and It's emotional. I spent my birthday at a prison museum, dot, 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 whatever. I don't really – I can't account for that, but that did happen. The tour was great. We had a tour guide named Denise. Shout out to you, ma'am. You're a hero. Then I went to Paris for a couple days with my partner, and we got engaged. Yay! It was – i'm still like i can't believe this is happening to me because like i don't want to get emotional but like i'm not a person who ever thought i would get married and i would watch say yes to the dress which i've seen many episodes of and almost like an anthropologist like i'm watching this other culture that i have no interest in particularly and still kind of don't but i am extremely happy with this life event and i can't believe it's happening but um yeah, we got engaged at Versailles, no less. So let me just say this about Versailles. Yes, I did get engaged there. It will be in my mind for the rest of my life as like the place where this happened, and I'm extremely happy. However, let me say this. First of all, on the plane, when I was devastated, I couldn't read the finale. I did take myself to read a historical novel about Madame Tussauds. Not really sure why I thought that was the best preparation for going to Paris, but like,
0: did you read little? No. Oh
1: should I have read that? yes okay see here's the situation my public library does not have a lot of access to great ebooks yeah like the collection i get to pull from is not that deep so this was in there i wanted something light i'm afraid to fly whatever i read this book on the plane get to versailles and i'm kind of like uh you know i've seen marie antoinette i'd been there before like when i was 18 don't remember a lot of it i saw on twitter that roxanne gay was there dare there the day before me and had complained about how crowded it was. It was indeed very crowded in the main rooms, but once you got outside and in the other rooms, it was great. Anyway, what you learn from the audio tour is that all of Versailles is dictated by a strict system of etiquette. Like, if you were a certain rank, you got to hand Marie Antoinette her nightgown. But if you were not, you had you could be in the room but closer to the door, etc. And there's all these rituals, and she had to free herself from that by building a fake peasant village on the periphery of Versailles. Anyway, you kind of understand why what happened to them happened to them in some instances. So the whole time they're like, it's all about etiquette, like politeness, manners, etc. I have to take myself to the ladies room at the end of the tour before I go outside. There is an extremely long line for the women's room, zero line for the men's room, beginning of challenge, uh, like the disparity of <laughs> issues facing women in the world. I just get up to the front of the line. It's almost my turn. This woman comes out of nowhere, completely cuts the entire line. And she was doing this act. You can't see me, but it's like, she's looking around like she's a mother who's lost like a three-year-old. And she's like, ah, like looking around, like, where, where are you? Where are you? And everyone's like, oh, is this woman okay? She jumps to the front of the line. A woman comes out of a stall. She peels right into that stall. And I was like, you weren't looking for anyone. You were, this was a scam. It was a show. It was a show. So then I get, you know, it was my turn. I come out, I'm washing my hands. Another woman jumps the line and is like, she didn't even pretend to have like a game plan of like, I'm going to (laughs) pretend like I'm lost or looking for a small child. She just went right past everyone right into a stall. And I was like, this is a place that's defined by etiquette in which no one has manners.
0: But is that bathroom not a metaphor for the French Revolution? Like people were ready to buck the system, but like they weren't prepared for what happened when they got out the stall. Like they didn't have a narrative prepared. That's true. It's like you have to have a story. You know what I'm saying? You have to have a really good story. And it doesn't have to be true. But if you give me even the right compelling look, you can cut me. No,
1: sorry, not on my watch. First of all, it's Leo season. Second of all, when I'm at Versailles during Leo season, I am, you bet, empathizing with Marie Antoinette, even though my rational brain is like, this was insane. They should yeah. have shared their wealth. This is all bad. I understand why what happened to them happened. Also, this is French history is extremely messy. At the same time, I'm like, can we please have some respect for this line? Like, yes. ma'am, I've dealt with enough today. There's no air conditioning in here right now. Like,
0: But what if people had just been respectful in the bread lines? <laughs> I, guess, I guess what I'm saying to you, like, sometimes a revolutionary spirit, like, moves us differently I mean, I guess, like, I just,
1: it I was disappointing. It was just like, I don't know. It's just, I was like flashing back to everything I've ever learned about French culture. And I was replaying, like, when I was a teenager and illegally downloading as much music off LimeWire as I possibly could. And you know how sometimes when you would download something off LimeWire and you weren't really sure what you were getting? And I had, like, a day where I was like, you know what? I'm going to get really into the Lay Miz soundtrack today, I'm going to get as much of it as I can. I downloaded on my own and I thought it was from the cast recording and instead what I got was a version by Debbie Gibson I love and that. she was singing in like a cabaret show, but the recording was like this like bootleg recording a man did where he had a mic on his cocktail table because you can hear as loud as Debbie singing, this man responding. So he was, she would hit a note that was like really beautiful and he'd be like, oh my God, oh my God, this is gorgeous. We don't deserve her. And he was like, Debra. And I was like, he respects her enough to call her Deborah." Remember when she was like, call me Deborah. I'm not Debbie? I do. And I was thinking about that in the bathroom line and I was like, you know what? Like French culture was a lot about respect and people who couldn't offer it to one another at moments when maybe that's all they needed was an acknowledgement. And it's that's about so reciprocity true. and it didn't happen. Anyway, that's all I have to say. I mean, I did get engaged there. (laughs) It was beautiful. I highly recommend going there if you ever have the opportunity. But, you know, just think of me in the bathroom lines because I'm going to be thinking about that for quite some time.
0: I feel that. I feel like as a Leo, you both like want a level of extra that is beyond your station and Mm -hmm. you want like rigid rules of decorum. Yeah. It's like, that's the
1: mystery of a house tour is that if it's not done with, you know, we've heard from a lot of our great listeners who work at house museums and are doing a lot of great work, particularly at former plantation sites or homes um, where enslaved people once lived to recover those representations and incorporate them into into the narratives of the space. When that doesn't happen, the the danger of that is that you sort of take on the, the major narrative that the house has, which is almost always white people and rich people of power. And at Versailles, it's like 100% that. Like, you never hear anything about anyone who actually worked at Versailles. It's always the royal family or Napoleon. And, but, you know, during Leo season, it's like, it did get me a little bit where I was like, yeah, you know, maybe she did need this fake peasant village just to escape. Like, you know, her life was really pres-
0: high pressure. I have a serious question. Does this mean you're going to get married at a wax museum? Who? listen. Don't say no right away.
1: I wasn't going to say no right away. Okay. There is a wax museum in Paris and I really did think about going there. And then I, I did I, go on. Uh, no, because look, there's just too much to see. There's too much going on. I also went to a medieval museum that really did me dirty, and they're on my bad list until they pull it together. I'm not even going to say their name, but it's like, if you have a major renovation going, you should tell people before they pay tickets to come in. And then you're like, here's five things we pulled from our collection. I don't know. Not okay. No. Not okay. But I did go to an amazing house museum. I can't remember the name right now, but I'll post about it. And it was awesome. Great audio tour. And it told about the history of the family and of the artworks. I don't like going in places where they're like, we're going to tell you about all the paintings. It's like, no, tell me about the marriage of the couple who lived here. (laughs) That's what I want to know. I don't care who made that sculpture. Don't care. Tell me like what was going on between these two and who was their favorite child and what was going
0: on. If we're talking about life and art, do I dare bring up the Little Women trailer?
1: Listen, we've received a lot of messages about this. Yeah. And, you know, I I I took myself to the internet yesterday and was like, okay, people are telling me we have to comment on this. I don't want to see this trailer before I hit play because I knew I'm pounding my fist on my desk. Yeah. I knew this would upset me, but it's also complicated because Greta Gerwig made this movie. And I genuinely love all of her films. I like her humor. I like her view of the world. I find it some ways it's like her boyfriend there, but like in some ways less cutesy. Yeah. Um, but I did, and I like Emma Watson. I like everyone who's in this movie. I click play in that trailer, and immediately I looked at the ceiling of the room I was in, and I just said, Winona, wherever you are, I just want you to know, I meant it. Unlike Johnny Depp, I meant it when I said Winona forever. Hit play, watch the trailer my view has not changed. What did you think?
0: So, part of what's filtering this is I don't I don't want to say we were called upon for special assignment, but a woman named Rachel tweeted the March sisters as American girl dolls. And yes. It sort of feels like, you know how Queen Elizabeth II fixed cars during World War II? Yes. And it's like this isn't actually going to help, but you do feel a call to service. Amen. Yes. That's how I felt when I decided that we would respond. And one of the things she mentioned, and I love the energy of this, but she said, I won't be taking questions. So we immediately reposted, but said, we will be taking questions. Great call. We learned that some of our listeners love little men, which I thought was fascinating. And mm. I had them tell me why. And it was very interesting and I'm open to it. But basically, number one issue is this person assigns as analogs beth and felicity which is incorrect wait a second
1: excuse me i'm already drinking seltzer during this because i just need this to i cope. Know. she is saying that beth equals felicity
0: she is saying that joe is molly okay amy is samantha which tracks tracks meg is kirsten which has had mixed feedback mm. and that beth is felicity Absolutely when beth is Abby not josephina Beth is a hundred percent Josefina. That's the issue. And I don't speak for myself. So we've gotten at least 30 DMs of people responding to this with like varying levels of interest. And honestly, the Beth as Josefina is the number one. Because it's obvious. Like I don't
1: even know how there would be any other candidate. I mean, of course, we have not read the books of a bunch of other American girls that came after, but yeah. So I'm open to it being someone that we are not familiar with. But of the canon that we know, like, come on.
0: Apparently, Kit is a really good direct line to Joe, which I see because they're both authors. Okay. And they're like funky in really specific ways. So one of the the cool parts of the trailer, though, is we got to see Aunt March and it's played by Meryl Streep, which is amazing. Yep. And one of her lines is just, that's because I'm rich. <laughs> And one other thing Mm -hmm. I I did love. So I mean, if this has the right soundtrack, it will probably move me to tears. At the same time, you're making a film set in the Civil War. You cannot call the female protagonist a lost cause. (laughs) That's that's part of it. Oh God, that's right. Oh my God. Okay, that
1: is not okay. That is not not okay. okay. And let me say this. From the posing that I saw in the trailer, and I don't know if it's just the clips they pulled, it's kind of giving me a vibe, I said this to you off air, that the journey that they're on is that they all want to kind of be influencers, which is also way out of time and kind of strange, but it's like, that's the energy, that's the lighting, that's the posing of the trailer, that's kind of like, I'm a little bit worried about what the aesthetic of this film is. It's not great, and it's like, okay... I could say we should stop remaking Little Women, but we never would have had the 1994 edition if that were the case, because of course, Katherine Hepburn starred in a version many years previous and so on. But it's like, have some respect.
0: I think part of why the 94 version resonates so much and so vividly for us is 94 was kind of both peak girl power and peak like girl G-R-R-L power in Mm -hmm. terms of like, punk scenes and like middle-class self-esteem efforts and i think that's why winona fit as like a perfect joe march for us because she was both of the 19th century and very much a creation of the early 90s Mm -hmm. there's other characters where it's like i'm interested to see what they do with an amy but at the end of the day like little women always rises and falls with joe period it doesn't matter who your favorite is
1: I mean, I thought it was an interesting move. There's no Professor Bear in the trailer, right?
0: And I can't roll with that because that's, I mean, to me, one of the most moving scenes is her, like, learning and discovering that she can be a compliment to him. Like, that they can be, like, help meets and complement each other.
1: I guess. I mean, to me, it's like, I don't really need him to be in the book, period, or the movie, period, and that might just be my own editorializing. But when you think about the fact that when Louisa May Alcott wrote that book, it was in two parts and part one ends after she she turns down Lori's proposal. That's it. And she wanted the whole book to be just done after that and was forced into writing the second half because it was such a success and her publishers wanted to make money and she needed to make money because her dad was a deadbeat and we won't even go there. So it's like knowing what her intentions were and the ways that she was disappointed with having to marry Joe off I do think it's interesting that Greta Gerwig chose not to include him in the trailer because it's kind of like tipping her hat to maybe what Louisa May Alcott would have wanted. But I do think you're right that Winona is a better Joe because she just speaks to a certain place and time that fits with the vibe of the book. Like, I mean, Winona Ryder's favorite book is Catcher in the Rye. And you could kind of see a Joe saying that, even though that's not really my fave book and I identify with Joe, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see. Of course I'm going to see it, but it's just, I work, as you know, to the soundtrack of the 1994 version all the time. I love the score of that movie. So it's just hard to love something in so many different ways and see a different version of it and try. I guess it's like, am I capable of being open-minded enough to give it a chance I don't know. It's kind of like when they keep making all these Anne of Green Gables remakes. If you came of age and saw the Megan Fellows version from the eighties, that's kind of the ball game. Like I will never yeah. accept any other Anne of Green
0: Gables, period. So I don't know. We'll have to see. I just think in terms of like film projects, Justice for Josefina, where is her feature film? Yeah. I would love to see that movie. And I just would to love be clear, that. I don't need Joe to marry Professor Bear, but I like him in the story. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's fine. I get it. I like him as a character. I think
1: I'm just disturbed because to me, it's like that's Louisa May Alcott writing her father into her book as a potential love interest. And that to me is disturbing. Like I can't actually sit with that.
0: That's that is. And like speaking of fathers in fiction as love interests, We see some movement in this book in the needle towards a Tia Dolores and Papa wedding.
1: Yes, let's get into this book, shall we? This episode is brought to you by Podcorn.
0: Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to advertisers for native podcast sponsorships.
1: What does that actually mean? Well, for our purposes, it means that we don't have to run ads on our show for products and services we don't believe in. We take this community really seriously. So we've in an ongoing way been trying to match with products that actually meet our mission and our values and are things that we're proud to support. So Podcorn has been a really wonderful service where we've been able to log on to their site and find a bunch of advertisers who want to work with us that we're excited to work with as well.
0: If you're a creator and you're looking for brands that you might want to work with, Podcorn is a great option. They have a marketplace mission to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom and control. And you never give up exclusive rights to your podcast. Click the link in our show notes to learn how to sign up and to learn more about Podcorn.
1: That's right. So just head over to Podcorn.com and
0: get started today. Uh, Let's do a rapid recap. So just for my part, quickly, this is a summer story. It's set in July 1825. All you 1820s kids, you probably remember that as a pretty intense year. Um, And here's the official publisher's description. Josefina's family is in Santa Fe to make a trade that will affect the future of their rancho. An American wagon train will arrive any day, and Josefina can't wait to get her first look at American traders and the things they sell. Before the wagon train even arrives, Josefina meets a scout named Patrick. Though his American manners seem strange, she can't help liking him. When Papa trusts Patrick with her family's trade, Josefina decides to trust him with a trade of her own, um, which I will tell you is a set of blankets for something they're trying to get. But Patrick leaves town without paying Papa or Josefina. It seems he's betrayed them both until, late one night, Josefina makes a surprising discovery – can she use it to save the day? I do just want to start by saying that his name is Patrick O'Toole, which is like a bit on the nose. Were you relieved that Abuelita was alive?
1: I was just going to say, when I opened, when I cracked open this book, I'm always looking at the mugshots in the beginning to see who we're going to get in this book. And when I see Abolito and Abuelita, I was like, oh, my God, thank God she's okay. Like, I'm yeah. so relieved. Then I see Patrick O'Toole. Now, if our listeners have the original books as we are reading, what you'll see now, when I first looked at this photo, I looked at Patrick O'Toole and I thought his face looks a little like Jason Bateman and his hair and whole outfit looks like Michael J. Fox in Family Ties.
0: I saw one thing and I saw John Paul Jones from Bachelor
1: now Bachelor in Paradise.
0: He has the same exact hair and he has the sort of goofy grin and the way that his, like, bolo tie, question mark, is slightly undone. It's
1: okay, but he's not really wearing a bolo tie. Like, to me, it looks like he's a member of the Young Republicans in the 1980s who, like, just left a really exciting meeting, so he went crazy and undid his top button of his collar, t- like, shirt. Yeah. Yeah. It- It's really weird. And then like, of course, Tia Dolores is right next to him like giving us that look of
0: like, yeah, I did it. So so something that isn't mentioned in the description and should be is that Josefina's playing of the clay whistle kind of lures Patrick towards the compound where her grandparents are living and where they're all visiting to kind of broker these trades. And the first thing I thought of was like, I know that maybe this is past the 80s stranger danger fear, but he comes towards her and he's several years her senior. And Josefina immediately is like, Yeah, how can I help?
1: It's really weird. It's real. That scene is so strange for so many reasons. One, she's off playing her like bird flute thing by herself on a hill, which is like, I guess, textbook Josefina at this point. Who even knows? Then he comes up and he's like, Hey girl, what's going on? Like, do you know where, how to, who this guy, how do I get to this guy's house? And she's like, that's my grandpa. Like, I'll take you. Then, so he's like, I thought you were a bird. Like, you know, I heard this sound. I thought you were a bird. Then he whips out his violin and starts mimicking the notes of her bird song. It's like, who meets a young girl alone? I don't care what historical period you're in. She's playing some musical instrument by herself. You whip out a violin? Like, a violin is not, like, an instrument that you're like, oh, I just happen to have this violin. It's like, I guess if he had a harmonica, I would feel less weird about this. But, like, it just felt weird. Like, there's a lot of prep work to playing a violin. It's like, he whips it out. I guess we're assuming it's automatically in tune. And he's like, don't mind me. I'm just going to, like, mimic your bird call. It's like, what's happening here?
0: So, if you're not reading along, this won't be immediately clear to you, but... This book and the book in which Felicity saves the day are basically a copy and paste job. In both instances, the young woman goes to a grandparent's home. The wife of said grandparent is totally irrelevant for no apparent reason. In both instances, a young white man is both causing trouble and needs to be saved by a young female who's spunky. There is a map reading scene in this that is identical to what yep. happens out at Kings Creek. There is also the whole thing with the musical instrument and the whistling that is identical. And there are really complicated and gross conversations about trade in both. Like in yep. this, it's the fact that they're now open to trade with people from the United States. And when you think back to how Grandpa was at Kings Creek, it was basically him brokering like how much he would have to spend to reclaim Ben. Yes. From slave
1: catchers. Like this whole thing is Val basically being like, let me dip into my archive. No one's going to like figure this out. No one's really (laughs) like covering. I mean, she's kind of Tia Dolores her way through this book, which is like hatching a scheme of like kind of repeating her own plot line. And then like laying this all out and expecting that we will not get it's like girl you're literally having a white dude draw like a poorly drawn map and then leave it in the rain it's like this plan made no sense like so just to like lay it out for you what he ends up doing (laughs) he makes a deal with grandpa and with papa to broker mules he's going to buy mules take that money and and like sell the rest of the mules and then deliver the money in two installments to papa first at the beginning of the week and the second installment at the end of the week before the end of the week he's a scout for the um train Uh, So he has to go scout in Mexico because the Americans are going to keep going south. So he has to leave in the middle of the night, which also doesn't really make any sense. No. So he wants to make sure he has made an arrangement with the daughters that he will trade his violin to them for their blankets. He wants to make sure that he delivers the violin, but it's also raining. So he doesn't want to leave the violin in the rain. So in order to make sure that they can find it in the church where he's hidden it, he leaves them a map in the rain. I'm sorry. And it's like, okay, they're forecasting that this guy is marriage material for (laughs) Francisca. And it's like, he's not. Like, if you think that this is cool, if I was Francisca, I'd give him a squash immediately. You know that tradition we learned about like three books ago, where if a man proposes to you and you're not into it, you just send him a squash. And that means like, no thanks.
0: It's impossible to forget. So part of what's interesting is... She decides, Josefina decides that Papa needs a violin, dot, 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 because apparently he and Tia D are going to start a band eventually. <laughs> so this family that had literally never heard piano is also somehow proficient enough in violin playing that Papa can just pick it up out of nowhere because he used to play just like he used to do doodles at one time. He was a cat. Yes. So Josefina convinces her siblings that they should each take the blanket that has been decided that they are allowed to trade with and not get anything that they want, but give in to like Catholic guilt and buy someone else a present. They're little women in it. This right. is straight out of little women. The mom
1: get Marmy gives them each a gift according to their interests, and they decide as a group to return the gifts and use them to buy slippers for Marmy. This is literally exactly what's happening in this book. Valtrip, I see you.
0: I see you, too. And you're not the first person who has mentioned that there's a lot of similarities with the sisters. (sighs) Just saying. I do think this book had a few disappointing moments just because we didn't get a lot of Tia Dolores. But I like to imagine, and perhaps this will be in the fan fiction, it's because she and the dad were so happy to kind of break away from the compound that they were out tooling in Santa Fe.
1: I kind of hope that for them. There's kind of this thing going through the book where we're sort of presented with this air quotes mystery or tension It's like, geez, will Patrick O'Toole live up to his word and deliver the other half of the silver for the mules? Or is he going to skip town and be unreliable like these Americanos or we fear these Americanos might be? And Abuelita is seriously skeptical of him, probably with reason. She's like ringing the alarm bell. Nobody seems to listen to grandma, but I'm listening. I'm happy you're alive and I'm (laughs) listening to you. But... It's like, okay, that's actually not the main mystery in this book. The mystery that's hiding in plain sight that Val is forcing all of the characters to pretend is real is whether or not Papa and Tia Dolores are already together. And it's like, we got it. They're together. (laughs) There's lingering looks throughout this book. And at some point, so he gets his violin from the girls. Because we haven't mentioned yet, Francisca and Josefina go out to take themselves to Santa Fe in the middle of the night to retrieve the violin from the church in which Patrick O'Toole is hidden. it. Makes no sense. Whatever. But I'm happy for Josefina coloring outside the lines. Good for you. Do whatever you want. It will give you some character and help you grow. Also have fun. Anyway... (laughs) They come back and they catch Papa before he goes out to basically say like Patrick O'Toole, I think absconded with my cash. What do I do to get the rest of my like mules back or whatever? And he's like, oh well, at least you got your violin. And they're like, no, it's for you. And then he and Theodorus exchange a, a meaningful look. Then they're grounded for the rest of that day. And that night <laughs> Josefina like can't sleep or whatever. She wakes up and she hears Papa like very si- softly playing the violin because he's so happy to have it. And Tia Dolores is in her doorway listening to Papa play the violin. And it's like, why is Tia Dolores in your doorway? You're, you're supposed to be asleep. Tia Dolores is watching Josefina and Clara sleep. Why? but it's like so that we can have Josefina seeing her listening with like longing look on her face to Papa playing violin.
0: It's like, this is not a mystery. They're together. We got it. It's the panopticon. (laughs) Like Tia Dolores is a one woman. 100%. Well, when they were sent out
1: to Santa Fe and there's a actually kind of, this whole book is actually really scary in the lack of like danger in the lack of (laughs) oversight that Josefina has. The one time she decides to hashtag be brave when she gets, when she sends herself out to Santa Fe, first of all, the moment that made me laugh out loud in this book is she goes to the other sisters and is like, I found this map that's like half washed out, but I think what he was trying to say was he hid the violin in the church in Santa Fe. And the sisters are like, that's insane. No way. She's like, he hasn't screwed us. He hid the violin in the church. <laughs> They're like, she's like, we need to go there and get the violin before dawn. Cause that's when dad's leaving to go downtown. And Francisco's already like ready to rock. She's like, yep, I'll do it. Cause I think she has a crush on him. So she's like wanting to believe he's a good person. Clara's like, uh, um, you know, it is after dark and it is Santa Fe and, you know, like there's a lot of men in town and I'm sure they've all been drinking basically all day and not really into it. And she's like, Francisco's like, okay, I'll go with you. Don't worry about it. We'll just go together. And Clara's like, I will stay here. And I will pray for you. And it's like, ma'am, this is not helpful at this time. You're spending the youngest member of your family in pitch dark. And sure enough, a man, they're like huddled in a doorway hiding hiding from like partying men in Santa Fe. And a man's like, well, who might you be? And Josefina trips him and they like run away. This is weird. And like, like, where's the supervision? But at the same time, I'm thinking, did Tia Dolores plan this? What if she made the map?
0: So, again, in terms of, like, the stories mirroring each other, the scene where the two sisters um, are actually confronting the creepy old man and they're holding up the lantern. This is page 52, 53, if you read along, is exactly like the creepy confrontation of Jiggy Nye. Yes. To to like, I'm going to take the town creep to task in the middle of the night. So they they're in this, like, really uncomfortable situation. And I quote... A rough voice frightened them. What have we here? It belonged to a tall man who loomed out of them, out toward them out of the darkness. Two senoritas, growled the man. He stepped forward, but Josefina tripped him, and he fell with a heavy thud. Josefina took hold of Francesca's hand, and the two girls ran for all they were worth, not caring where they went as long as it was away. Like, this turned into a Lifetime movie real fast. It really did. Like,
1: it's it's actually shocking It's so weird that Valerie Tripp, I guess, for them to save the day, it involves them going out at night alone. Like, there's so much scholarship, some by people we know, about how, what it meant to be out in the nighttime and how to have, when technological innovations like streetlights came along in the 19th century, it was important because it was meant to prevent some of the danger that people believed was possible in darkness that was not possible in sunlight. But I wonder if Valtrip was thinking about that at all. Like, why, why have, why can't she save the day in sunlight?
0: So something that I kept thinking about um, was kind of the drama. It was like, she needs to have a moment. Like, we know that Samantha saves people in an aquatic situation. Felicity saved, like, the Empire Sort of. It's kind of um, interesting
1: that Samantha saves people in an aquatic situation when she was likely the first victim of the Titanic. Now, Wow. Well, <laughs> I
0: think that's really true. Another um, story for
1: another day. Anyway, sorry, continue.
0: But when you think about it, Josefina and Felicity are going in different directions because. Felicity and the way in which she acts as a hero for both her family and her parts of her community is that she is moving towards um, becoming an American and moving towards this revolutionary cause. But in many ways, like if that same kind of mantle were to be put on Josefina, she would be resisting the Americans, Mm. which is not something that I think can be configured as a possibility in this series. Like, what would it mean if her saving the day was in the context of like pushing out imperial intrusion? Mm. Yeah. Because that's what Felicity does. Right. Exactly. Well,
1: and I think it's interesting too, like what saving, who they choose to save and why, and what that actually says for not the national politics in which they're a part of which they're a part, but about the politics of the family of which in which they're both located. So in Felicity's world, And in her family, she's choosing to save Penny. That's why she's running around and doing these various things. Penny is not a member of her family. She's not doing it to make her family whole. It's not like when her mother was ill, she had to transgress and go out at night unchaperoned because she was so desperate to save the life of her mother. She wants to liberate and save the life of this horse who's been abused. For Josefina, she has this very intrinsic desire to heal her father in his grief that has gone throughout these books and the violin becomes kind of a symbol of returning him to life so it's like I must desperately recover this violin for him even at cost of life and limb and it's like this is not an essential part and it also should not be on a child to heal the parent like that feels I think that's why it feels really strange to me I mean Felicity was like kind of at like <laughs> on perpetual spring break through all of her books. And yeah. this is the first one where Josefina is like kind of having some fun and being independent, but even in her, like, you know, coloring outside the lines and doing something that's against the rules in her family, she's doing it because she has this very inborn desire to be like the devoted daughter and heal the parent.
0: Do you think that Val was prepared to kill off Mrs. Merriman and they were like, no, 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 too far. And then like she had enough Pleasant Company money where she was like, this one starts with the death. Yep. Like she's she like that power.
1: Yep. She like pounds her. She like taps her finger at the on the conference table and she's like, I do this one my way.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And, <laughs> and no they're one- like, what?
1: And she's like, I do it my way.
0: Now, when I was thinking about this book. I kept thinking about a film that just came out, which is once upon a time in Hollywood. I know that Quentin Tarantino is like, that's upsetting for some people. Like that is not a director that some people like, or it's just content that they don't enjoy. Um, Basically he's producing films at this point. So he can have actors. He likes play Nazis and be in Westerns. And that film checks both boxes with Leonardo DiCaprio, Mm -hmm. not complaining. Um, Sorry, not as Nazis, but persecuting Nazis. Got it. Anyway, that film actually gave me this like tremendous moment of clarity as to a value of this series. Say more. I'm fascinated. So I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but if you know the basic thrust of the film, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt play best friends who are both coworkers. So Leo DiCaprio is playing an aging cowboy, like this aging actor who's been playing cowboys for a lot of his career. And Brad Pitt is his stunt double, which it's like, sure. And they are living in the same neighborhood as... The people who were actually murdered by the Manson family. Um, but Tarantino gives it his own twist. That's all that you need to know. Okay. But in the film, you see over and over the leonardo dicaprio character the cowboy that he's playing like because he's become a punchline it's like his violence is especially senseless i liked the way it kind of was like poking and looking at westerns in a different way because tarantino is obsessed with spaghetti westerns and i kept thinking about how like all of the tropes that we think of for westerns are about violence but never about grief like it's never about the people who pick it up. And in some ways, both like the senselessness and the off screenness of Josefina's mom is such a different way to approach this genre. Yeah, that's true. That is it's true. It's like these books are about all of the people who never appear in Westerns because they're not thought to be – important in that kind of canon like it's not we don't actually get a ton about Patrick O'Toole we get a ton about like a young girl and her father who are afraid that they're being screwed by American traders. mm-hmm And we get a serial killer in the form of a woman who's been living in Mexico, but is now down to clown in the future United States.
1: That's absolutely true. I was just going to say this. The only reason this one in track is that there's way too many strong female leads for this to be a Tarantino film. I'm not a Tarantino person for that reason. But oh, wait, before I move on from this, Lena Dom's in this movie, right? Like, how did that go?
0: She is. And I'll just say, like, if you have any kind of, like, issues or concerns about feet, people are barefoot for most of the film. And I will say, like, God bless Josefina. She keeps her shoes on. Is this a trigger for you? No, 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 it's not. It's just it's something that I somehow didn't know about Tarantino. Apparently, it's a known thing that in all of his films, people are often not wearing shoes and especially women. And in this film, because it's set in the American West, in you know, a time period where people are also dressing as hippies. It's like especially gratuitous.
1: I mean, how can it be? Is there like a sliding scale of gratuity? Isn't it like your shoes are on or off?
0: You don't know Tarantino if you're asking that question. Like there are close-ups of women's feet like being squished on the front of the car. Like like they're sitting in the car and it's like a close-up of a woman putting her feet up on the windshield and it's like you see the pads of her feet from multiple angles as they like press into the windshield. Is this like a fetish for him? Yes. And so Ugh. part of it is like, his films, and this is something I enjoy about other aspects, like, he takes his time with a scene, and that's something I appreciate because they're long films, but they're, like, delightful at parts to watch play out, and and that way it is also the opposite of this because, like, things just kind of happen fast to Josefina, and yet there isn't any of that bigger drama. Does that make sense? There's a difference in the richness of character development. And yet I absolutely really like the fact that these are all people who would probably never be seen as like central figures in a traditional Western or a Tarantino. That's true. Yes. Like he would never take the care to develop a character akin to Josefina who like really cares about her family
1: yeah I was gonna say like he's incredibly emotionally immature and I find his movies really misogynist like that's just my view like I, people can descend from that and that's okay but something else I think is interesting is that there's actually a lot of desire in this book this book is about mm-hmm. um desiring people and things so like the implicit story is that Tia Dolores and dad like desire each other And likely already have each other, but the kids just don't know. When the dad was saying, have you told them yet? And she's like, no. And she's about to reveal that they each get a blanket to trade for something they want in the market. I thought the reveal was we're together.
0: Of course. And then the next obvious question is what has he had to trade to keep his life in this relationship? (sighs) He's going to have to marry her. And she's exactly.
1: like, you're going to get a lifetime of me, you know, falling asleep next to you. And you don't know if I'm about to stab you through the eye or wish you good night. And he's like, okay, I guess that's what it is now.
0: And then she starts foreshadowing the future of American ragtime and just starts playing maple leaf rag in the corner. Uh. I- I do think something that's really striking about these books, like you're saying, like there are these moments of joy that they're finally having at the marketplace. And the way that that general meeting of cultures is represented is very joyous. Like Josefina Mm. sees an American flag and is very excited. I think something that again, like just because we're making this artificial series of comparisons, like Tarantino films are, sort of soaked in violence like they're incredibly violent in all sorts of ways at the same time something that's missing from this book is any kind of discussion of violence like when you think of the ways that there were at least allusions to what was happening with the American Revolution when we get the description of what it's like to see the Americans coming to town it honestly feels like a fourth of July parade straight out of Molly mm-hmm Like you learn how beautiful the wagons are. Um, Josefina is really taken with the flag and just to quote, she thought the Americanos looked cleaned up too as if that morning they'd scrub their faces, slick down their hair, put on their Sunday best and polish the dust off hundreds of miles off their boots. Some of the men looked rough while others looked quiet and well-mannered. But to Felicity's eyes, all the Americanos looked glad to be in Santa Fe at the end of the trail at last. And it's like, Girl, this is like a clash of cultures that's gonna go so bad for so yes. many people. Like they're coming in contesta wagons that are also being used to drive away indigenous people. <sighs> yes, exactly. No, like, am I I mean, am I way off?
1: No, that's a hundred percent right. And I was thinking about this where we get all these descriptions of and the peek into the past, too, of like, oh, there she would have heard so many languages being spoken. She would have heard this. She almost imagines Santa Fe as, like, a kind of Ellis Island where all of these people come together to, like, enter this fictional space of, like, Santa Fe that is kind of, like, this imaginary, like, frontier space where Americanos mix with Mexican and indigenous people. And it all is, like, totally peaceful. There's no violence. Um, it's... It's very strange because I think it I can it's kind of like a 90s like multicultural fair imagining of what the the reality of this was actually like which was incredibly violent about it was totally about empire about power about money about materialism and yet Instead, it's reduced to this story where like everyone gets along and Josefina gets to imagine her own identity in a very unselfish way for the first time in all of these books by honestly owning that she desires an object. And the father encourages her in that and says like, this is basically something you shouldn't apologize for. This is what makes you 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 desire you want to buy something
0: like it's just the
1: whole thing is weird.
0: And the thing she desires, number one, is Patrick O'Toole. And number two, <laughs> yep. the set, I'm going to say it, it's a farm set. It's identical to the Ark that Felicity loves. Yep. Except this time, the animal that she loves is a cute little pink pig. And there's kind of a heaviness to that moment of her having Patrick explain to her what farm life would be like, where I was like, she is going to become a homesteader. Give it four years. Yep. If I may, there is a part of this book that broke a kind of psychical dam inside of me, which is on page 63, and I quote, In Josefina's time, travel was difficult and dangerous, so people did not take vacations for fun. (laughs) And it comes after this like really beautiful and layered description of what it was like to live primarily indoors in a place that was inhospitable. And then it's like, I know what you're thinking. They didn't have vacation clubs. This was the best that she could get, which is going to Gramps. And oh it's like pickle, a, pick a lane. I don't know.
1: It's really weird because it's like so much of relationships in this period are based on reciprocity and not about dispense, accruing a surplus to dispense. Um, I mean, you know, that is capitalism that's happening in this time. But we get a description of Papa's economics of his life, which is not to accrue surplus, but to accrue the the pressure to sell these mules is because if he doesn't get the money to buy the sheep, they won't have food and material to make blankets to earn more money to sustain his household. So it really is about survival. It's not creating a surplus. And yet the peek into the past and even like Josefina's mindset is all about sort of this weird luxury that... It presumes a luxury that was not a reality for her life or the li- lug- likely the lives of any people in what is now New Mexico living in her circumstance. It's just very strange. Like, the idea of vacation did not exist in Josefina's yeah. time.
0: But I think, honestly, I think this is us getting a glimpse into her wanting to be American and ditching the family for a man like Patrick. Like, I... I think that's yeah. Valerie's way of saying, like, love is what opens her eyes to nationalism and to leaving one empire for another.
1: And I actually kind of got deeper. I was like, why is it a pig? And I was actually thinking about a lot of histories of political culture and early American at this time, like the pig actually figures as a central focal point for political gatherings. Like you have a pig roast and that's when candidates, and this is in the 1820s, when candidates start actively campaigning for office as opposed to playing like the pose of the gentleman, like, oh, who me? I couldn't possibly <laughs> want to be president. I'm not going to campaign. If you want to vote for me, that's cool. But otherwise, so it's like the pig roast becomes like this central focal point of celebration. Now, of course. Pig roasts also have histories, um, politically outs in like non-official forms of power and they're sources of pleasure for enslaved folks. There's a lot of histories. Um, Tara Bynum has done great work on, um, histories of pleasure and histories of slavery. And she actually found an account book of an enslaved person, um, recording a a pig roast for people in this time period, actually. But, um, I was like, wow, I bet it's a pig because like that's this like American symbol of like politics and pleasure. And she's going to be chasing both of them to get out of what is now New Mexico. But again, I I'm probably it. reading way too much into it. But it's like I'm in so deep on this book. I don't even know anymore, but she's going to leave. But the problem is Francisco likes him, too.
0: She does. And I don't think so. I think the difference is like this is not her escape hatch. But this is like the opening of something for her where she has now seen a man who has like enough capital and enough freedom to travel, as do the men in her family. But he also has had access to a place where there aren't goats bothering you and you can roam (laughs) freely with pigs. And that's for some reason really attractive to her.
1: Yes. Um,
0: If I may, I want to quote a reviewer who I think is brilliant, which is a woman named Rachel. And she says – A little suspicious that we can trust the white guy, but I cried a lot. (laughs) Okay,
1: I respect this review, but I have to just be honest. When I started the book, excuse me, and we have that moment where she's whistling and he kind of intrudes and whips out the violin and is kind of a creep. Like, I read that as a weird, like, to catch a predator moment where instead of bringing wine coolers, he's like, here's my violin. Because it's like, we don't know his age. I don't think we're actually given a number. But it's very evident that he's quite a bit older than her. And for the ages that they're at, it's actually meaning a meaningful difference developmentally. Like, for Francisca, you get the vibe that, like, that's actually, like, a game respects game situation. Mm -hmm. Like, they could be together, and that's okay. And there's moments when he can't speak when Francisca is serving him because he's so flustered by her beauty. And Josefina is, like, reporting that. So I think we're meant to see that as, like, Josefina understands that it's actually inappropriate for her, but it's okay for Francisca. But I think you're right. It's like, oh, well you know, there's a man like him for me someday that's gonna get me get me away from Sombrita and you know, the ghost of Floresita comes
0: with me wherever I go. True freedom. I I loved I think this woman, Sierra, put this brilliantly. We've read her reviews before. She says I was left with more questions than answers. Like she always gets right to the heart of it. Yeah,
1: she hit she hit the nail on
0: the head there. She describes what motivates Josefina to actually go out and try to, like, find find this violin. And she says it as, quote, Josefina has a deus ex machina moment. She creeps out of the house and sneaks to the hill where she first met the rancher. There she finds a note, on and on. And she's she gets right to the point. She says... Um, She wakes up one of her sisters and they rush to the church and are sexually harassed by gross (sighs) dudes along the way. Correct. And it's like Sierra is kind of the truth teller that we all need. Um, I kind of liked the way people had so many conflicting feelings about the fact that this scout did ultimately end up being honest. Samantha writes, I like this book because Josefina and her sister went to town to prove that this man was honest. The girls trusted in this man and he proved trustworthy. But I'm also nervous for Samantha by the same token because it's like if we're trying to do girls a service, like that may not be the most helpful lesson.
1: You mean Josefina?
0: I mean like young girls reading this book it's like if a man pretends like he stumbled across you while you're whistling by yourself in the woods and then he offers to broker a deal with you and leaves you a note in the woods it probably won't work out well no
1: it's like like, wow this strange man made me feel special I you know the first sign that yeah you're gonna be murdered
0: well I was gonna say you're gonna be the thing in the violin case (laughs) yeah I mean hello yeah we've all read lovely bones um
1: Mm. (sighs) yeah it's it's very weird like I don't understand her messaging I don't understand why she felt the need to map this book almost entirely onto the plot of Felicity like Josefina doesn't even get her own plotline. That's how disrespected she's been in this franchise, for me. Like, she doesn't even get her own plotline.
0: But is that not a commentary on the ways that, like, empires replicate across a continent? That's indeed true. I mean, wow. A thing I kept thinking about, and you and I both read this, and we can talk about our experience meeting this author. Um, I don't know how you read this and not think of one Patricia Limerick. Who wrote a little ditty called The Legacy of Conquest about the ways in which, like, histories of U.S. imperialism are and are not talked about in the American Southwest. We got to see her talk in Worcester, Massachusetts, in what can only be described as a magical mystery tour. Correct. Um, you and I had this thing where we would go to talks by authors who were asked to give retrospectives on the 25 year anniversary of the publication of their most famous work. <laughs> and basically, everyone took this as an opportunity to get free Freudian reads of their own scholarship. Yep. And would be like, don't you think this was about your relationship with your daughters? And a very esteemed scholar was like, yeah, of course. Like, of course, this is actually about me. Like, it's not about witchcraft. It's about me and letting go of my daughters and my own fear of death. And people are sitting in the audience like, yes,
1: vigorously nodding. And they're like, yes, we that was in the footnotes. Yes, of course. Yes. It was obvious that that's what you're doing here.
0: And people asked Patty, they were like, so what is this book really about? And she was like, listen, moved to the Southwest, didn't have friends. not on like right. one of Montoya. And she's like, that drove me to write a better book which I'm sure it did. Wasn't there something
1: too about being at a ski resort? She was like, I was at a conference and I was at a ski resort and I didn't have anything going on.
0: Yeah. And I love that because I love that brutal honesty of like pretty much everything you write is about you. Even if it's about someone else, like there's always those two layers. Yes. And I do think like this was Val's chance to like do the death that she meant to do with Felicity, but for whatever reason wasn't given the opportunity. She didn't
1: have the cachet with Pleasant at that time is my guess, but she had in her back pocket her Mithis, we might say, and that is for sure Josefina's story. That makes sense. That tracks for me. I mean, I think it's interesting that when somebody produces something, the degrees to which they refuse to accept that it has anything to do with them, when it's like your choice of topic alone comes from your own life experience, your... The things that brought you to that moment informed every choice you make after that point. So, of course, like, we chose something for our dissertations that has something to do with our life experience. It's weird, though, when you hear an author speak and they absolutely refuse to go there, like, as if it somehow is a crime against their imagination or creativity to have any inf- personal influence on what they've done.
0: How much do you think Valerie could charge for, like, a night with Trip? Like, at the door, how much per, per per head.
1: Are you talking about how much we'd be prepared to pay or the average person? Both. I'd be willing to name my first child Valerie. Really? I mean, don't tell Anna, but like Well, I don't Valerie's know. a beautiful
0: name. It's a beautiful name.
1: I would I don't know how much I can't put a dollar amount on it. It's like I'm I really want to be there, but I'm also like I can't go as me because I've done too much at this point. And it's like I'd have to also put into my budget like an attorney fee and perhaps a security guard fee. So there's just a lot. There's a lot weighing on that. But I would love I would love it very much.
0: I wonder if we just went really aggressive in the other direction. And, you know, one of your favorite anecdotes, a la Mimi just sent her a bill (gasps) and like charged her for our time.
1: Yeah. Inconvenience fee. Yes. That's the move.
0: And we would call it something slightly different because that's probably trademarked under Mariah Carey. But I think it might be an opening. Wow. Can
1: I just say, like, crimes committed against me never mind Josefina, I have had glitter on my heart, like, my TV. I got it off Amazon. No one will watch it with me. I can't stress this enough. No one will watch glitter with me. I've watched
0: glitter before. I've watched it before. I will watch it again. Okay, but I'm just
1: saying, like, there's no limit to the number of times that someone can watch Glitter and get something beautiful from it, not unlike Grease too. So I'm just putting it out there, like, please open your heart and make time to watch Glitter with me. Somebody. I will. I will. Thank you. Um, I would love to charge Val an inconvenience fee and be like, you made us put these pieces together of Tia Dolores. Like, you owe me $500.
0: I have to be honest, the energy that people bring to unpacking the Tia Dolores story is probably been my favorite thing of this podcast so far because without knowing it in messages that people send to us, it's like, I see your vampire theory and I raise you like this serial killer theory. And I appreciate that because I love the energy and the time that people are putting into it and you're Mm -hmm. all right.
1: You know what? We haven't solved climate change, but we have solved this. And I honor all our listeners as a result. Thank you. I want a t-shirt that says Tia Dolores did it
0: because she did. It's coming. It's coming. She did all of it. I'm going to say this. The preview for her winter story is an announcement that comes from Tia D that she's leaving. And the question that lingers for us is can anything persuade her to stay? but the real question is like how will you ever get her out this is a con this is exactly
1: what someone would do this is insane this is like what a child does it's like that's it guys i'm leaving and it's like this is how you get someone to beg you to stay you just make them feel like you absolutely don't want to be here and then people who are insecure and vulnerable in their grief will be like no please it's like stop manipulating these people who are grieving just
0: stop just stop, and honestly, I I love that Josefina rallied the family to get dad a violin, but I kind of hope he feels a little bit bad, that it's like, I'm such a downer in this fam that everyone had to sacrifice their joy for me. Yeah. That should affect him, and I'm not sure that it does. Like, she, I guess I just still feel really
1: sad for her, even though she did this kind of independent, air quote, thing. It was in service of his joy, not her own. I just want her to have something that's hers. Excuse me. Like something that is purely hers. And grief is a really hard thing. And I think we're going to do an episode about grief, I think. But, you know, we I just finished the Confronting OJ podcast today. Of course. Of and the, course. the episode... Wow, I cried twice listening to this episode. I do encourage people to check it out. And she does speak to a grief therapist in this episode who basically makes the point that, you know, your grief is not something to get over. It's like you don't get – you don't move on. You don't move on. You just move forward.
0: That's the thing that also taught us that there is grief, but suffering to different degrees is optional.
1: Yeah, and and also, like, you – you don't have to accept the thing the ways people in your life try to manage your grief however good their intentions are. You can live with your grief and view it as like a way of like manifesting the love you had for the person you're grieving. You don't have to get over it in a time period that society or people in your life think is appropriate. You can move through it and sit with it in ways that are maybe bring you peace and so it's not it's kind of like addressing the pain but not accepting choosing to deal with the suffering in a more meaningful way and I was thinking about Josephine a lot actually listening to that episode like as silly as that sounds that you know she's such a serious character because in part she's dealt with such a serious life event like of course she's a person who thinks about restoring her father from his grief and and putting him before herself because she's had to become an adult at like eight years Mm. of age. It's actually really sad. But, you know, I just hope in this winter story that we see some joy and at least a restoration of her status as a child, like as a person who can actually say, make selfish choices in in a way that's actually healthy for the age that she's at.
0: I will say one thing. Like, she serves up a really good look in this book. Like, if you look at the cover, we'll post it. Like, this time we're a lot less distracted by farm animals and she gets a cool (laughs) telescope, which I really like. Like, there's like a few things. There's a few things.
1: She's wearing a vest. I love it. She's wearing great boots. This whole outfit could be at Anthropology today.
0: Yeah. Way outside my
1: price range.
0: I do love the way that. There's interesting parts, right? Like, I think Val was very taken with the weather and the climate of the Southwest. So there's a lot of descriptions of, like, rainstorms or different ways in which she covers herself from the outside world, which is probably also a metaphor. Mm. But it's really beautifully done. And I remember when we were reading Felicity, there were the scenes where there was descriptions of, like, the stars sparkling in the sky that I thought were equally compelling. Like there Mm -hmm. are these moments that are really beautiful and there's these winks to the adults or older people reading the books. Like when Tia D teases that there's an announcement, like we all think it's an engagement. Right. Right. And yeah. So, I mean,
1: it's not going to feel like that shocking when that happens in the next book, which I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure that's where this is going. (sighs) We'll see. I mean, I don't really care about Tia Dolores. She's already taken a lot of lives, and I don't really care about her happiness. I just want Josefina to be happy the end.
0: I do, too. And I think perhaps, like, again, if we think of Josefina as a vessel for a larger story, we're supposed to see this, and I quote, um, as one of an illustrated book about growing up on America's southwest frontier. It's like... (sighs) Just like death is inevitable, like the loss of any kind of sovereignty that her family enjoys is also starting to feel like Mm. it's just on the path. It's like, I don't know what joy means for her. Maybe joy means becoming part of the United States. Like she's very into the flag. Yeah, it is a bit concerning. Like her reaction to Patrick is a lot. Like it's me watching Leonardo DiCaprio on screen. Or me watching JFK.
1: Yeah. Really at any age or Elvis in his military uniform.
0: Like I'm just going to tell our listeners every single year on any holiday that has anything to do with service people. We all get sent in every possible group chat a series of photos of Elvis (laughs) from Mary. And it's like some gave all and it's like, yeah, not him. He died on the toilet. Allison.
1: No, let me say this. (laughs) How dare you bring this up at the end of the episode? This man served his country, okay? This man, hold on a second. Let me back up. This man produced arguably one of the finest first albums in the history of rock and roll. Go listen to his first album. I will defend it against anyone. It's an amazing album. This man is at the peak of his career. He has to put everything on pause to go drive Jeeps in Germany. Did he start wooing a 14-year-old Priscilla? yes was that inappropriate yes i can't defend that i can't defend most of my crushes on celebrity men in the past because they're all pretty not great people i think elvis was like he was kind of like justin bieber like he didn't know enough to know that he was being offensive yeah like he knew he was co-opting black culture but he genuinely was like I don't mean any, like, I don't think he understood the politics of what he was a part of. There's a really great two-part biography that I recommend. The first one is called Careless Love. The second part is called Mystery Train. It's excellent. Anyway, all I'm saying is he did serve his country. And in a way, we killed him in his service because we wouldn't let him live an ordinary life.
0: You know we we are recording this around the anniversary of Japanese surrender. So I I suppose that's something that he would have also celebrated in a problematic way, but it brought him home, right. He
1: wanted to be a sheriff and a drug agent to police the counterculture, which is why he took himself to the White House when Nixon was president. And was like, sir, I'm here, I'm, I'm here to serve my country, even as a civilian. He got a pistol through the Secret Service, presented it to Nixon. Nixon was like, "Who? what's happening? And he was, at the time, addicted to drugs himself, so it was a complicated offer. But I just want to say he died in the bathroom, and I'm very upset by that, and I will never get over that because he deserved better than that. But he was reading a book at that time on the Shroud of Turin, and I don't know what that means, but I'm putting that to you. And just letting our listeners ruminate on that. That's all I have to say. And Allison, I do hope you post one of those photos of him in uniform because, you know, he I deserves will. it.
0: I will. I'll say as a contrast, if you want to learn about a person whose like, politics are a lot more worthwhile, closer investigation, like with Elvis's, it's probably best as a blind spot. There's a fantastic documentary about Sam Cooke on Netflix. That puts them really on the same kind of track and reinvestigates his untimely death and talks about the ways in which he was this really important burgeoning civil rights leader. And because he was so poppy and really sounded a lot like um, other major pop stars of the period, he wasn't understood to be this like growing important voice of the civil rights movement. And I will say like those are politics worth like probably closer investigating. Like, leave Elvis with, no. like, the fuzzy carpet in no, the no, bathroom. No, no, no,
1: no, okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> we can have both. The world contains multitudes, and that's all I'll say.
0: That's true. And I hope that Josefina's world gets bigger, and I hope she runs away in book six. That's a dream I have for her.
1: I also hope she runs away, but I hope she doesn't run away and then, like, fall in love with Andrew Jackson, because that would be really sad for me.
0: No, but I think that she would have really strong opinions about Peggy Eaton. Like, kind okay. of out of nowhere, like, I think Josefina gets woke when it comes to Peggy Eaton, where she's like, I had that one night in Santa Fe, and I know this is wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, or she would learn about how the Andrew Jackson adopted an indigenous boy who was orphaned because he led the slaughter of indigenous people, and she'd be like, yeah, I'm not buying this. Like, when no. he was like, but I adopted an indigenous person, he'd she'd be like, uh-uh, no, nope.
0: Not on her watch. She knows what a killer looks like, but she knows how they act. Yep. We did, as a, a parting thought, we did really want to recommend a podcast that we've both been listening to called This Land. And it's about issues of sovereignty and indigenous rights in Oklahoma and various parts of the Southwest by extension. And it's both true crime and it's really, really well written, really well delivered content about issues of Not just rights that people have in sovereign territory in Oklahoma, but potentially a major upheaval going to the Supreme Court. So check that out. Please do. Yes. Well, until next week, uh, you can
1: find us online and various places. Allison, where can people find us?
0: yeah so you can find me at Alison Horrocks. It's my first and last name um that is my handle on both Twitter and Instagram, and we love when you reach out to us on our various socials. Um, so, we are a Girls Pod on Twitter, and you can reach us on Instagram at American Girls Podcast. You can also drop us an email. We love to hear from you, and you can reach us there at AmericanGirlsPod at gmail.com. You can find me at, at
1: Mimi Mahoney on Instagram and at Mary Mahoney123 on Twitter.
0: And how can people follow your book activity?
1: I have a bookstagram at Books and Sound on Instagram that I will be posting more to. My Kindle was stolen at the Mm. Dublin International Airport, so I cannot report the titles of some of those books, but I will try to figure it out and get back to you.
0: Awesome. Until next time.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time.